Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in the world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. So that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel. All right, so that was, as uh, as Rachel said, a little bit of a long psalm. Um, So what I would like to do is just kind of go through it again quickly, just give us another taste um, since we have a little bit of time together this morning. So um, first of all, to introduce you, as we've we've been going through the psalms for a few weeks now, Pastor Chris started off with uh, a few weeks of kind of introducing different themes of psalms. and this one, I believe, is a psalm of restoration or a psalm of reorientation. Um, and specifically, this is a unique psalm um, because most psalms are praise or lament or some kind of cry to God. Um, this is more of kind of a, a letter of instruction, it almost seems like, um, which is interesting uh, for it to be a song. You would assume um, that would make a very good tune, but eh, who knows um, what it was like. It seems the, the very, it's very evident because of that, because it is an instructional letter or instructional song, that the writer's intent was to um, hopefully reorient our perspective or give us a fresh perspective on, um, on what he's writing about. And so specifically, if, if you were following along, um, the main theme of this psalm is wealth. And the last time I spoke... Um, you may have remember, or you may not. You may not have been here. That's totally okay. Um, was on the rich young ruler, and we talked about how um, wealth isn't just economic status. Wealth isn't just how much money you have in your wallet or your, in the bank. Um, it means so much more than that. It can mean um, obviously financial prosperity is one thing, but it can mean uh, fame. It can mean um, uh, you can have lots of time on your hands because you've you've 
you've worked so hard that you've got a lot of money and you've got people that can do the work for you. Um, it can mean you have great health insurance, great health benefits, you have all the, you know, the, all the things that, that modern medicine can, um, that can hopefully help are at your fingertips, but at the same time, um, it can also mean just prosperity is in, uh, in your name, having a, a good name or a well-known name or a famous name. Um, so wealth can really mean a whole bunch of things. It can kind of an overarching thing. And that's what I want to talk about today, specifically the difference between uh, earthly wealth, earthly riches, and godly riches or godly wealth. Um, so... Let's go through the verses really quick. So one through four, we have, Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. So this is the introduction. The psalmist is saying who he's talking to and makes it very clear he's talking to everyone, not just the rich, not just the poor, everyone in between um, those. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. So he's not speaking kind of this intellectual verboseness. He's speaking out of his heart, which is um, likely a very uh, moral, some sort of moral conviction that he, that he wants to convey in his, in his song. Um, and it suggests that the following stanzas, as opposed to being from his, his mind, something that he's kind of thinking about or pondering, it's something more he's been meditating on, the conviction in his heart to reiterate that. So verses five through nine, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry, five through nine. So, real quick, the two, the two words that kind of stand out to me are redeem and ransom, two words that we kind of hear a lot, um, one more so than others, especially in the Christian church, which would be redeem. Uh, when you first think of redeem, you probably think of Christ redeeming us from death, from sin, um, and that would be correct, obviously. Um, you also might think of redeeming like a ticket, um, like a winning ticket for a prize or something like that. Um, when I, my first exposure to the idea of redemption or redeeming was when I was a young boy. Um, I, liked to, I liked to play video games when I was growing up, and the only place that had them uh, was Toys R Us. And it was about a 30 minute drive, so we would go and I'd have my sock full of change that the clerk would always be really, really bummed when I kind of set that on the counter. But you know, I saved up for months and that's, that's the way it was. So uh, the way it worked was they didn't have like video games in the aisle, you know, it was just a picture of the game and then a bunch of papers with the price on the paper and then a barcode. What you would do is you'd grab the paper, go up to the front, um, they'd scan it, you'd pay, and then you'd get a receipt, a proof of purchase. You'd take that proof of purchase to kind of the, the side area where they had kept all the stuff in a locked cage, and they kind of do the same thing at Costco now, if you've been. Uh, and you would show them your proof of purchase, and then they would give you the game. And so this is, this is what redeeming is, and that's what, <clears throat> that's what it's meant to mean here in the scripture. It's what it's meant to mean when Jesus redeemed us from sin and death, he, he purchased us, the, the proof of purchase. He had to pay the price, and that was his blood. That was his death. And so with that, there was a proof of purchase that he bought us back 
Um, he actually redeemed us from, you know, the, the death or the cage of sin and death, if you will. Um, so that's the idea that, that the, the writers coming across here. No one can redeem the life of another. No one can afford, can actually afford that proof of purchase that can redeem us, except for obviously Jesus' blood. He paid that price because we couldn't afford that. The next word, the next line is the ransom for a life is costly, or, or to give God a ransom for them, the ransom for a life is costly. And if hear the word ransom, you probably think of, you know, a dramatic movie or, or TV show where maybe a famous person's um, child got kidnapped or maybe a rich person's child got kidnapped or something like that. And, you know, the, the bad guys say, okay, we want a ransom of a million dollars. That's what, that's the price we need um, for us to release your son or daughter or whoever, whoever was, was taken, taken prisoner, taken captive. Again, that's, same, the same idea that's, ha- that, that's, that's here. No one can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for them. The ransom for our life is costly. No payment, no earthly payment is ever enough. And again, that's why Jesus had to die is because we can't afford the ransom. We can't ransom ourselves out of our sin and, our, and, and ultimately death. Jesus had to come and be that ransom for us so that his blood was the payment, was the ransom. Um, so that's just, those are, the, those are the two words that kind of stick out there and I want you to kind of have that picture in your head that, and remember that. You know, obviously I think if you've spent any time in the church at all, you, you understand or know at, in some level that we can't pay the price of our own we can't redeem ourselves or pay the ransom. And that's, it's in our namesake, the word grace, and for Grace Lutheran Church, the word grace, you know, um, what it means is that Jesus paid that price for us and by his grace we are saved. Um, and that we just need to accept that grace. That's how we, that's how we uh, accept that redemption that he already did for us. <clears throat> but in each of these examples that I gave, um, not the video game one, but the one in, in, uh, in the psalm here, Jesus redeeming us or ransoming us, he's saving our life. It's, it's a, a life that he's saving. Um, and again, that's what, that's what the writer is trying to get across here, that no one can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for them. The ransom of life is costly. It was for this reason that Jesus had to die. And what this makes me think about is um, the verse in Isaiah 53, Verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Again, it's by his wounds that he paid our ransom, that he redeemed us. It's not by anything that we've done. And I think we understand that. I think you know, that's something that you grow up kind of hearing and understanding. It's, you, can't, you can't do it on yourself. You have to, you have to follow Jesus and, and, and uh, accept the gift of redemption that he has paid with his blood. And another verse to, to reiterate the grace section is what, what I think um, Lutherans know this verse very well. It's for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Because if it was by works, then, you know, there would be reason for us to say, well, I have, I'm more saved than you or something. And that's not how it works. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Um, so it doesn't matter. Our earthly riches, that, uh, the ground is level. It doesn't matter at all. The thing is, is I think we, we understand this up here, but are we truly living by this? And something I, a little, 
example I want to give you is if, you know, if someone that didn't know who you are had met you for the first time and you kind of gave them a snapshot of your life or they, they got to see a snapshot of it somehow. Um, you know, I think about the, the alien movies where they have the videotape and they can see your life. Think of that, that kind of, that kind of example. What would, what would it seem that you were putting uh, your faith into? For a grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. Would it seem like you are putting your treasure, storing up your treasures in heaven? Um, or would it seem more that you're trying to store up treasures on earth, that you're accumulating earthly possessions, you're accumulating, you know, uh, earthly wealth? And again, I don't want to. I don't want to get stuck on economic status. If you're if you're working towards, you know, trying to make a name for yourself, or maybe clear your name, or it's it's really it's that central. Is it about you? Is your life? If somebody plugged that tape in and was watching your life, would it be? Would they see that it's about you primarily, or would they see that it's you're living for the Lord? And that's that's. The, I want to hold on to that thought. Um, we'll come back to it later. Let's continue on through the psalm, verses 10 through 12. For all can see that the wise die and that the foolish and senseless also perish. Both wise, foolish, doesn't matter. We're all going to die. something that everyone has in common. Leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. So even the wise die, they leave their wealth, they pass it down, inheritance. Um, not only was that true in the Psalms, very true here in this day and age. Um, you know, I think of Steve Jobs as an example. He was obviously a very smart man, very wealthy man, had a, a lot of knowledge, um, was well known, probably pretty, pretty well liked, unless you're a you know, diehard Microsoft guy, then maybe you don't like him so much. But he was a man that had a lot of wealth in a lot of ways, not just financially, but also had a lot of power, had a lot of fame. And yet, at a, at a relatively young age, he passed away. And that's something that even with everything kind of laid out at his fingertips, I would imagine for someone like him, there was really no holds barred with, he could probably, I assume he had access to every kind of modern medicine possible. I assume that. I, I, I believe that's a pretty uh, valid assumption. But at the same time, he wasn't able to prevent his own death, and that's very sad. It's, there's, that's a tragedy of, of fall, is that we all inevitably die, whether it's at a very young age or if it's at the end of our life because of old age. And one way or another, we, do, we all pass away. And so, out of that place, um, I, I think it's interesting. The, the NIV has a translation. If you look at verse 11, even in the Pew Bible, it has it. At the end of the line, verse 11, it has a little C which, which kind of acknowledges there's a note at the bottom. Um, it says that in other translations, in the Hebrew, you could translate it also as, instead of their tombs will remain their houses, you could translate it, in their thoughts, their houses would remain. Or in their thoughts, they thought what they had would last forever. And I don't think that was an explicit thought. I think we all recognize that at some point we are going to die, but I don't think that's a thought that we necessarily engage with directly on a regular basis. We think, okay, death is, death is over here. Like, I'm here, there's gonna be a bunch of time and then I'll die. You, and I think no matter what your age is, whether you're you know, in elementary school or whether you're um, retired, I think that you kind of still view death as kind of this far off kind of abstract thing. 
And that's what the, the psalmist is kind of um, urging against that. He, wants, he doesn't want us to kind of think, treat our things that way. It's like, okay, well, I can, I can do this later or I can, I can, you know, be more giving later or something like that. He says, no, this is, it's not going to last forever. You're not going to be able to take it with you. So don't treat it like it's going to last forever. Treat it like like it is going to perish because it is. Um, so that's something important. I, I think all of us in some way, although we know that we will die, there is that kind of denial that we have where it's, well, death is far off, you know, like, yeah, there's, you know, tragedies that happen, accidents and, and you know, um, man, current events, you got wars going on, you got um, tons of natural disasters, but, you know, that's far away. And it, sometimes it, it kind of is a rude awakening when we realize that, no, this is, you know, don't let it be a rude awakening. Let, let our lives uh, be lived as if, um, you know, the Lord could take us at any moment. So the time is now is, is what the psalmist is saying. 13 through 15 says, the fate, this is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me into himself. So again, he compares those who trust in their riches for their own gain, or someone that is focused on their own, furthering their own name or their own self. He, he compares them to sheep. And what do we know about sheep? They eat. They eat. I mean, they, their wool is used for clothes. That's cool, I guess. But, I mean, pretty much their existence is, I mean, they're like, I mean, he's suggesting that they're born to ultimately just die. You know, they, they're born, they, they eat, and then maybe we get some, you know, some nice clothes out of them or something, and then maybe we can have some lamb chops for dinner. But they're ultimately, that's, that's their destiny. And that's, that's what he's comparing to, to people that live for themselves. That's, he's comparing them to sheep that really have no purpose. Their purpose is just really, ultimately, their destiny is just to die. And that's, I don't think any of us would want to live like that. I don't think when we look at sheep and how dirty and smelly they are, I don't think any of us like to be compared to that. But that's what the psalmist is saying. If you live for yourself and use your, your wealth, not just, you know, not, again, not economic status, but everything that you have in your possession. If you're using that to, for your, further your own gain, you are like sheep that are destined to die. But we see some hope here. It says, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. Surely he will take me to himself. And that's the hope that we have, that if we are not using our wealth, whether that's, you know, whether we're rich in the eyes of, of you know, those around us or not, uh, if we're using that wealth that we have for the Lord and to expand his kingdom, then we have hope that God will redeem us from out of death because, as we said before, Jesus already paid the price. He has the proof of purchase. We just have to accept that and start rep and repent, turn, turn away from the life we were living and turn towards the cross. Verses 16 to 20, we'll kind of finish up here, and this is the key is this, uh, this last part here. Don't be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increase, for they take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. <laughs> and that's, if you didn't catch that, their splendor will not descend with them. There's almost this kind of subtle um, implication that they're descending 
into the depths of hell. I don't know, that's really kind of scary to think about that. Um, Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed. And people, people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them who will never again see the light of day. This is the key verse for us this morning, is people who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Again, people who have wealth but lack understanding are the beasts that perish. It doesn't say people who have wealth are like the beasts that lack understanding. It's that if, I'm sorry, people that have wealth are like the beasts that perish. It's people that have wealth and aren't using it for the right reasons. Those are the ones that perish like the sheep, like the beasts in the field. And so that's the key there. It's people that have wealth that don't understand that wealth is temporary. They don't understand that it's not going to last. They use it for themselves. They consume, they consume, they consume like a sheep that's just consuming grass. They just consume, consume, consume. It's all about gratification. And then they die. But people that understand whether, whether or not there's, you know, whether or not they would be seen as earthly wealthy, people that understand that there's something greater, a purpose greater that we're, we're called to live, that is, that's the difference there between godly wealth and earthly wealth. The difference is understanding. And to unpack understanding, again, like we said, it's living life, not for ourselves, but for the Lord. What did Jesus say were the two most important commandments? Love God, love others. As simple as that. That's, if we're living for ourselves, are we loving God? Are we loving others? Probably not. Probably just loving ourselves. And so that's where the twist of, uh, of, of where the writer kind of twists the idea of what we need to be using our wealth for. And I also think that this is a great, uh, great assurance for people that don't have a lot of earthly wealth. Even if you're poor, our congregation is very unique. We have people that are living in, a beautiful, in beautiful Southern California. We also have people living on the streets. We also have people that aren't, uh, aren't wealthy in the, in the eyes of the world. But this last verse should also be an assurance that it does, you, can ha- you can be poor, you can be earthly poor and still have understanding. You can still be living your life for the wealth that you have, the things that you do have, you can be using that for the Lord and for, to expand his kingdom. I do think it can be difficult for us, specifically in Southern California. Uh, we are part of the West, if you will. We are also very privileged here in, in, in the United States, um, and especially, man, Southern California, Southern California is so great. Um, I'm convinced it is one of the best, if not the best place to live in this country. I've been to 48, I've been to 48 of the 50 states and I, I would say that this is by far the best place as far as uh, comfort, if you will. Um, I don't say that to, to boast about where I've been. I say that because I think we have it harder than a lot of people. Because we could say that there's a, I can say there's a lot of things I want. There are a lot of things that I want on a daily basis. I can't say there's a lot of things I need. I have pretty much all that I need. Personally, speaking of myself, um, I have food. I can turn on the faucet and get clean water. I can put on, I'm, I wear the same thing every day, but at least I have clothes. Uh, I have shoes that protect me from, you know, things to step on that are bad. I have um, a bed to sleep in when I'm home. Uh, 
uh, have, I, I have what I need, frankly. Um, I have running water. God bless running water. We, I don't think we think about that enough, but we have a, a, a bathroom that we can go and use the restroom. We don't have to go outside and dig a hole. It's very nice. So I, I think here in, in America, and we are in, I think, the, one of the best places in America, we, we are very privileged, and we kind of, it's normal to us, right? I mean, this is kind of where, if, I mean, most of us were probably born in the States, and if not, you're here now. Um, and so this is kind of our normal life, and we kind of, it's easy for that American dream to kind of blind us to the fact that, um, that we still, even though we have all we physically need, we earthly need, there's, there's a deeper godly need, a deeper spiritual need that sometimes we, we can forget about just because of how nice we have it here uh, in Southern California. And I think it's interesting. We, we talk a lot about the American dream, and, and it's, you know, what we're founded on. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's in our Declaration of Independence. It's what our country was founded on. But prosperity and success, I, I don't that can oftentimes blind us from what God is really, ultimately, it can, that those earthly riches or that earthly wealth can often blind us from our need for this godly wealth. Um, and I'd like to look at a, a proverb here, Proverb 30. Let me know if this is your life verse, because I think it, you will, uh, it will be very unique among us. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, that's one. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me only what I need. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, if that's anyone's life first, you are, again, very unique in this, this, this uh, country of America where the American dream is very prevalent. Because the proverb, the, the man that wrote, the, or the Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, this Extremely well-off person. I don't know if he wrote Proverbs 30. Um, whoever wrote this is saying, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. I want just what I need. And I don't, I th again, I, I think this is hard. Uh, this is a cute passage for us. They think, oh, that's, that's cute. That's a cool way to live. But we kind of section ourselves off from things like that. And it can be Frankly, just it's understandable because of just the, the, the blessings that we have uh, that have been bestowed upon us just because of where we were born or where we live. Um, and so I want to hopefully, um, I want to take a look at what Jesus had, what ha I think what Jesus might have to say um, to us today and, and out of response to the psalm, things that, um, ways that Jesus responded to the idea of wealth um, specifically um, two, two stories. The first one is in Matthew 16. You can turn with me if you want. You don't have to. I will read it. It's Matthew 16, 24 to 26. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Again, we can't, we can't redeem our own soul. Whether we gain the whole world or not, that is not enough to be able to redeem or pay the ransom for our lives. 
And Luke 18, we're going to look at, a, a, I think, a more unique passage when we're talking about, uh, about the, the view of, of wealth. We read 9 to 14. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. So someone that I think the, the psalmist is, is talking to, someone that thinks they're better than others. Um, to them, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. And we, as we went through Mark, we kind of um, talked a little bit about the Pharisees, talked a lot about the Pharisees. They are someone that would probably look a lot like us, um, someone that is well-churched, um, knows, knows the, the Torah, knows the, the law, has in fact created, if, this is a, if the law is to not touch this table, they've created a ton of different other laws so that there's no way they're breaking that law. They've, they've created more laws than even that. So they, these people look, appear very righteous. They look on the outside to appear to have this, this godly wealth amongst them. And Jesus talks about this Pharisee a little bit. He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Sorry, I skipped that. There's a tax collector there too. We'll talk about him. Um, even like this tax collector, I, I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get to the church. Give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Now, what do we know about tax collectors? We know that, that uh, Jesus called one. Matthew was a tax collector. Um, and these people were probably the lowest of the low in, in Jewish thought because the way they made their money was, say there was a, a, a tax on the, the, the government wanted was like a $10 tax. Well, they would go up to, they would, you know, there'd be a line or something, they would say, all right, 15 bucks, and you'd have to pay it. And they just paid the 10 bucks to the, the government and pocketed whatever, whatever fee they wanted, they could tax you it, and you couldn't do anything about it. It was illegal, it was illegal to do anything. They could just tax whatever they wanted. And what's worse is that a lot of these tax collectors were Jews that were working for the enemy, working for the, the Roman Empire. So these people are not only stealing money, they're, also, they're stealing from their own people. They're, in a sense, betraying their own people, saying, okay, I'm gonna go work for the enemy, and then I'm gonna oppress my people. So these people are like lowest of the low. People do not like tax collectors. So keep that image in your head. This, that's who this person is. He's, he's upper class as opposed to like Pharisee would be more middle class. This guy's rich, but he only has friends that are tax collectors because nobody wants to hang out with a tax collector except tax collector, right? So that's, keep that in mind. He's, he's earthly, very, very wealthy, very rich. But let's look at what he says. He, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. It wasn't that, see, earthly riches, earthly wealth, it wasn't even, it's not even a part of the story. Jesus doesn't see that. He sees humility. He sees the deep anguish the deep, I mean, utterly unworthiness that this man feels, and, but he recognizes that he needs Jesus. He needs mercy. Whereas this Pharisee, he says, thank God I am not like these people that are here. Thank God I am, I am ultimately says, thank you, God, that I am closer to you than these other people. But the irony there is he was farther away than, than he ever could have imagined. But it didn't have anything to do with earthly wealth. It was this this 
this godly view of this tax collector saying, oh God, I have mercy on me, a sinner. A one-line prayer, but he, he went home more justified. Let's look at another tax collector. Um, you may know the story of Zacchaeus. Um, he was a wee little man and climbed a tree and all that. Um, but Zacchaeus was also a tax collector. And Jesus came to his town, Jericho, and so he's like, I really want to see this Jesus, but I'm too short, so I need to climb this tree. So Jesus passes by and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree because I want to have dinner at your house tonight. Jesus calls Zacchaeus, gives him a call, and Zacchaeus answers, he, he answers that call. He says, Lord, I'm going to give away half, half of my possessions. Anything that I've stolen, any, any fee that I've charged someone, I'm going to give it back to them four times the amount that I stole from them. So there's this tax collector. Again, the people were appalled that Jesus was, he's going to have lunch with, he's going to have a meal with a tax collector? What? Why? He betrayed us. You know, because the people have this idea of a tax collector that's this, the lowest of the low. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to call you. And then Zacchaeus responds by turning around. He repents. He stops pursuing earthly wealth and turns and starts pursuing godly wealth. And part of that was giving away of part of, of his riches, of the, the, of the money that he had made, kind of cheating, frankly, um, Cheating, on, cheating, cheating, cheating it out of others. And that's, I think that's a really good story for us um, to look at because that is, I don't know, we, it doesn't matter what we have, ultimately. It doesn't matter if we are like, uh, like a tax collector and just have tons of money and maybe didn't get it the most honest way, or it doesn't matter if we're poor. It doesn't matter if we're living on the streets. Jesus doesn't see that. What he sees is what you do have, give that. Give that to me. Think of the woman that gave two mites. The Pharisees giving all their money and this, this poor widow gives all she had. Two fractions of the pennies. And Jesus says that woman gave more than the Pharisees did. Think of that. It's not out of your earthly riches. It's, it's pursuing what you have and giving that. And that, that is godly riches. That is godly wealth. Um, I want to give you some examples from my own life, ways that God has really shook me and rocked me um, in, this, in this way. Um, I was gone for about a month, as some of you may know. Um, I, the first half of it, for the first three quarters of it, I was in Czech Republic on a mission trip with my wife. Um, we got to lead a team of, of 20 high schoolers uh, and four other adult leaders to Czech Republic to lead or run along with, uh, we went, partnered with a missions organization and a Czech church and ran an English camp with them. Um, so there were, it was evangelical English camp, but um, there were many people that didn't know God, didn't believe in God that came um, because they wanted to learn English and conversate with Americans. So it was a really, uh, really unique opportunity. We got to, um, this was the whole team, the Czech team and everything, the, the, the missionaries. This was the camp. And so we got to teach these students. Um, in the mornings, um, I got to teach my English class, which is, this is, this was my, this is my crew here. Uh, I was with them in the morning, teaching English to them um, from about 9 a.m. to 12.30. Um, and that was just purely curriculum. That was, that's all it was. And then at night, we would have kind of these night talks where the gospel would be presented in a different way, kind of ramped up. As it was, it was a whole week long, it kind of ramped up to it. 
Um, and then after the night talks, uh, the same group, my English class, we would meet um, for discussion group afterwards and just, just talk, just ask some questions and just discuss. And I, I tell you what, I got to see this week, um, I got to see some, some, some godly wealth for sure. Some, some, I got to see God moving in a really powerful way. Um, there were some students that came in um, not believing in God at all that, that ended up leaving the camp, taking home a Bible for the first time. Um, we, after camp, we did some follow-up days, and we got, to go to, we got to actually attend the church, go to the church that we partnered with, and there was, this, there was some students that, that was their first time ever setting foot in a church, um, and that was because they wanted, to, they wanted to be a part of whatever it was that we were a part of because they saw something different. I mean, the youth in Czech, I mean, they will, t- they will tell you that there's no hope, there's no joy, there, there's none of that because their parents, most, a lot of their parents are atheists, their grandparents are atheists. I mean, the percentage of people that are evangelical Christian is in the singles. It's like 3% or something, 2%. But they're realizing, like this psalm says, that it's not working out too well, that earthly riches, earthly wealth is not enough. And so a lot of them kind of have this idea of somethingism. They believe there's something more out there, but they don't know what it is. And so this camp was an opportunity for, for us to kind of give them, uh, help them take steps um, in the right direction towards, towards God and towards um, believing in God. It takes, it's a long process. Um, the, the, the people there are very, think very critically about everything. Um, and so the average time it takes for someone first hearing about God and actually starting to follow Jesus is about seven years. Um, so we got to see a lot of steps taken of that, and hopefully we'll get to go back and, and see more steps and maybe see some of them start to start following Jesus. So that was, um, that was a way I got to see um, God moving. We also got to visit Prague after, after our last state English camp here. We got to go to Prague. This is our team at Prague. Um, again, great buildings, great history there. This, this country is like there's buildings that are like twice as old as our country is. That's pretty insane to think about. Um, this is a, a bridge with locks of love and a boat, as you can see. There's Prague and the castle in the background there. It's cool. It's square. And this is my like quintessential picture of Prague. I love this picture. It's got the old town square. It's got the clock tower. It's got a church in there. Again, this is, when I got home, People ask me more about my time in Prague, and understandably, Prague's like, you know, the Eastern Europe's uh, Paris, if you will. People ask me kind of more about my time here than they did about English camp, and I get it. I do get it. This is, again, not a lot of people get to go here. We were privileged to be there, but the whole time we were walking these streets, all I could think about was camp. All I wanted was to be back at camp. All I wanted was to be with these students that I'd met and that I'd gotten to see the way God, had, God was moving in their hearts. The way, I got to be a part of the Holy Spirit's movement in the youth in Czech Republic. That's all I could think about. And while people would say, well, how was, your, how was Prague? How was this, you know, did you have a, a rich experience? Well, yes, but this earthly wealth, wealthy, this earthly rich experience of getting to see Prague and be a tourist was no match for this this godly riches that I'd gotten to see, this, this, to be a part of this movement that God was doing there. We have another example. Once I got home, we, get, we flew home Thursday night. Uh, Katie was sick. She went to urgent care, got home really late, packed, 
slept. Next morning, we fly to Chicago, and I started a tour with my band. Uh, we were playing some Christian festivals. That was kind of the main thing. It was this short little eight-day thing. Um, so we got to play some pretty big, some pretty big places, um, sold more merch than we've ever sold before, um, which was crazy. Uh, got to play for uh, some big crowds here. This was the first show we played. Um, got to play for a nice crowd. Had a, this was the second show we played. Got to play, not, not the second show, but this is the second big festival we played. See, the crowd was pretty, pretty big. Um, again, something that if you're in the music industry, you would say, oh, man, you guys took a, a step in the right direction. This was great. You guys were a successful trip, you know, successful shows and stuff. And, yeah, we got to tell people about Jesus on the stage, but um, I think a lot, of, a, lot of our, a lot of the people there, maybe me included, were distracted by, oh, yeah, we're selling a lot. We're selling more than we ever had before. We're making new fans, all this stuff. And I kind of got stuck on this earthly, rich kind of experience. But the day after we played this festival, um, we got to drive about seven hours. This was in Minnesota. We drove to North Dakota uh, in a little town called Fort Yates, North Dakota, which um, is very North Dakotan. Or <laughs> it's... Uh, there's, a, there's an Indian reservation that's, that, it's a part of this Indian reservation. It's called the, the Standing Rock Sioux Indian Reservation. And so let me tell you about this place. This place has a 79% unemployment rate. 79%. It's insane. Childhood mortality is some of the top of the nation. Childhood dropout rates, top. They told us that per capita is the highest suicide rate in the entire country. And that's, the festival we played was an anti-suicide festival. It was kind of an awareness thing. It said that the youth especially are just, it's, suicide is rampant in the youth. They say one in every three kids kill themselves. One in three. We got to play for, you know, we drove up. I'm just thinking, this is, this is in America, man. This is like a third world country. There's, you know, it's kind of a, just a beat up place, you know, um, Kind of get there, and I, I, had to, I had to drive all day, and I didn't really sleep much the night before. Um, so we kind of were, I was kind of just not having a good time. I just had a pretty bad attitude, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. You know, it's like this little church, there's like 10 people there. We're just kind of like, this is dumb. It's kind of a waste of time. Why do we even do this? You know, we get there, and I'm sleeping and stuff, and um, that was my attitude until we got to step on stage. And we only played to maybe 20 or 30 people. These people are, are so poor. They didn't buy anything. You know, we, we ended up giving away a bunch of shirts, CDs, posters. Uh, made sure everyone had a poster, uh, at least. So someone in the industry might say, yeah, well, it was a waste of time. Why'd you go? You didn't sell anything. You didn't make, you know, you made some new fans, but, you know, it's, it's not a good market to make fans in, you know. Um, but I'll tell you what. That show, I think meant more to me than any show on that tour. There's six kids there. You can see it's a little, you know, plywood stage. Um, you look at the smile of that girl on the, the right there. That gets me every time. These kids don't care who we are. <laughs> they don't care about us. They don't care about our band. They just had, a, they had a, an amazing time. And you know what? If we get to... If, if we were able to have an impact on these kids that, to where they don't 
maybe they won't kill themselves. Maybe there's hope. Maybe we gave them a, a glimmer of the hope that Jesus Christ has to offer. That, I mean, God just punched me right in the face. Said, man, you've been, you know, these last few days have been awesome. The shows have been cool. But you've been so wrapped up in this earthly view of wealth when I have so much more that I, can, that I have to offer. This godly view of wealth is so much richer than an earthly view of wealth. And this was, man, really a wake-up call for me and I think for my band just to say, man, we gotta remember why we're doing this. We're not doing this to move, to move albums, to sell shirts, to build fans. That's part of being in a band. You have to do that stuff, but this is why we do it. We do it to tell people like this about Jesus. People that one in every three, there's six kids in this picture, five in this one. One or two of these kids could kill themselves based on the statistics. So if we, if we got to save some of these students, I mean, that's, that holds kingdom weight right there. Our band's gonna, it's gonna come and go, you know. No one will remember who we are, but if we were able to save even one of these students, that is the stuff of kingdom. That is the stuff that actually holds weight in eternity. So, I say all this to say, once again, this is, this is very much an identity thing. Um, it's, again, not, it's not that these earthly wealthy things, it's not that earthly riches are a bad thing, it's this idea of understanding. What are we, what's, what's the heart behind it? Are we living for ourselves? If I'm playing these big shows, it's not, a, it's not bad that we got to play these big concerts, but if... If I'm thinking, man, this is really boosting my ego here, this is awesome, we're growing as a band. If, that, if earthly things are my focus, then I have, I have become like sheep. I have, become, I have become a man without purpose. But if we, even in those big shows, small shows, it doesn't matter whether it's at a church, at a bar, whatever it is. If I am, if I am seeking riches from God, if I am seeking to expand the kingdom, that is, that is what I need my identity to be. Because I can either have an identity in the band and my success or my failure will be based on how the band does on any given night. Or I can have my identity in Christ and whether the band succeeds or fails, doesn't matter. If, if I'm getting to go tell people about Jesus, expand the kingdom of God, that's what matters. That's what holds weight in the kingdom. Because remember, the Bible doesn't say that, the, that, that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all, of all evil. Because man cannot serve both God and wealth. Because he will either love one and hate the other, right? So that's what, that's what we're called to, church. We are blessed. We are blessed to be in Southern California. But we are blessed to be a blessing to those around us. We are blessed not so that we can bless ourselves and further ourselves in our own name, but we are blessed so that we can further the kingdom and bless those around us. That's what it's about. If we understand that the money in our wallets, the money in our bank accounts isn't ours, but God's, then it would be a lot easier to lend money to people in need. It would be a lot easier just to, to be open about what we have, because it's not about that. I would, that stuff doesn't define us. It would be a lot easier to forego maybe that addition on the house and maybe someone has, has a need where they have some rent that they're behind on or something. There's just, again, it's that tweak of, our, uh, of the way we perceive. It's that tweaking of our identity and changing it. 
We could say, but Lee, I'm not living for earthly wealth. I give 10% to the church. I buy food for the homeless. I support a kid in Africa. Praise God. That is awesome. Just don't think that in some way, after you do all those things, you've just paid God off. And now, okay, this, this rest is mine. It's mine. You know? I see a homeless guy on the street. Oh, I feel led to get, okay, here's a dollar. Okay, the rest is mine. It's mine. You know, that's, no, that's, that's what the psalmist is. He wants us to twist. The, the, the enemy is Satan, the great deceiver, the deceiver. He wants us to think that it's about that. Let's pay God off, and the rest is for me. But no, it's, it's understanding that. The psalmist showed us what happens when that's our mentality, right? We're like sheep. We have no purpose. If, if, if we are our own purpose, then we're just like sheep eating grass and eating grass, eating and eating. There's no purpose in that. Instead, let us repent from that. Let's turn away from that lifestyle and run to Jesus and pledge our allegiance to God, trust what he says is true, and use the things he has given us, whether we are, whether we are earthly rich or poor, whatever we have, let's use the things we do have to expand his kingdom. Because on that day, when our strength is failing, to quote a famous Christian song, our time is, when, when the end draws near, our time has come, when we're lying on our deathbeds, we're not gonna remember, we're not gonna be thinking about the stuff, the earthly wealth that we have accumulated over the years. We're not gonna be thinking of that. It's, it's gonna be the godly wealth, the things we did to expand God's kingdom, the things we did like this. This reminded, this was, this, like I said, Jesus punched me in the face with this. And it's moments like these that God reorients me and reminds me, hey, you need to be living for God, not for yourself. We're standing there at judgment day. All of us, all of us will be there. All of us will pass away. We'll be naked. We'll be completely exposed. We'll have nothing but us and the life we we led. I don't think God's gonna bring up whether you had, you know, a nice house or whether you had the best job, he's not gonna bring that stuff up. He's gonna, it's gonna be the stuff, the weight of glory, the weight of the kingdom, the things that you did to impact him and spread his name by loving God, by loving him and loving others. It's that simple, it's so simple yet so complex. It's just a simple twist, simple tweaking of our identities, of, of the reason we live, but yet, man, it, is, it has kingdom implications. It has eternal implications. So, my prayer for you today is that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Huntington Beach as it is in heaven, at Grace Lutheran Church in our hearts as it is in heaven. Amen.